0: machine and try it out and see if we can get any recording on it. Got it hooked with a remote control to start and stop it, but I don't think that'll hurt it. Now let's see. Don't okay, here goes. This is the instance it was in 1911, it'd be on May the 10th of that year. We. Moved into the, from the old house into the new brick house over there, and this date was my birthday. I was five years old. And Aunt Mary Jensen and then Leonard and Mac, now Mac is the person that come with Leonard. They come from Australia, and Aunt, Aunt Mary and the rest of their family come over. They got into San Francisco the year of the earthquake. And uh, Len had stayed over there, and him and this Mac, we call him, they'd worked together. They'd rather made sales from them boys, absolutely. And they come, I don't know exactly how they come, with it. whether it's just Aunt Mary, and these other two people or well, they come in a horse and buggy. They had a buggy in a single seat, and that might have just been them three that come. But Aunt Tina Winnyh was there. John, her Winnyh, her husband. It must be something they'd planned pretty extensive for, because Mother wanted to make some ice cream, and her ice cream freezer was broke she went up to William Griffin's store and got another one, one one that had a division in the freezing tank. You make two kinds of ice cream at once, but instead of turning the crank right around, you just turn it back and forth to freeze it. And that's where she made the ice cream. Now, going on to that, let's talk about ice, getting ice out. The Larson Brothers got the thrashing outfit and had a habit of, Cookhouse, it's out in the field with them when it's trashing to keep meat and other things. They had a refrigerator, but it'd have to have ice to put ice in it every day. There's a bin in the barn down where Uncle Bill lived, down in Uncle Ren's place, we call it now, in that little rock house down the corner of town. And there's a bin in there that was all 12 feet square. Of it was filled with sawdust. Of course, left clean the sawdust out and get the ice. Put the ice in there. They had to go down to the river in the winter time. Most of the time, they cut the ice out right where the old river bridge was. Cut up a load. The Larson brothers they worked together to get that and haul it up in the sleigh and slide these blocks in and stack them up in the ice bin and then put sawdust all around them and that keeps the ice that have ice to use in the cook shack and also get some ice once in a while and make some ice cream. Now let's talk a little bit about Len and Mac. Mac, Stayed here in Newton and worked with J.J. and on the thrashing machine, etc. In fact, then they that was the year they shipped the outfit up to Bancroft to do thrashing and mashing. J J they rode in the cook shack. They had it they loaded the outfit out here at what's called Hammond Flat or Hammond Spur. They'd taken the engine across the bridges down there when they first got it, and I guess once is enough to take that old heavy engine over that pile bridge. But anyway, they was up in Bancroft. Well, they stayed up there thrashing and come home once or twice, but they come back to unload the outfit again out the same place and come into town on Halloween night, so they was Better in Idaho, oh, months or so. They about broke even. He says the uh, grain had been froze down and wouldn't give as many bushels as they should give. But it kind of an interesting incident there. Uh, they unloaded at Alexander, I believe. You also so what? Because one place they loaded and the other place they unloaded. But they thrashed the land now. There's Metcalf, Dan Benson's, and uh, it was right in that area where we've got our land now. In fact, we've got a couple of them places where they uh, had thrashed. And I'd never even heard of Bancroft. I think i heard plenty of it because Milton and Merlin folks, they Got a pretty good spread up in there. George Rigby was salesman for the Danielson Company and run into this plot of land and he bought that and that's what started the Rigbys out on the farming ground. I'm giving these figures to kind of relate when, and where, and so forth. be so the, the J.J. and Chris Larson family returned from Kanab in 18. 18- 84. Now, Lorenzo Larson was age 40. Lorenzo Larson 14. Hiram was 12. Joseph was 10. And uh, Mary Ann Larson, which is grandma, was 42. Mary Dowdell was 8. Caroline was 6. And Uncle Bill was one. Now I'll move up to was about nineteen, nineteen eleven, 1911 when I mentioned that mother was having that party at home. Max Stayed in this country for a little over a year, and he went back to Australia. I don't know. He's quite a likable little fellow. I took a big fancy to him, and he did to me. We got along good together. And after he went back to Australia, he wrote letters to Dad every once in a while. We'd get a letter from him, and they kind of stopped once. So I wrote one, too, one to on the Mac myself. And kind of got him started going again. And he's a very characteristic writer. And he'd write fast and it looked good but it took you a little while to understand this slant he had on that because I soon got so he could read it good and then since then Charlie MacDonald, that Chaman's brother-in-law, he went back to Australia and he looked him up and they had some pretty enjoyable time together in Australia, I think it was two different times that, that Charlie went over there and he visited with Mac, and they really had a ball together. You know, at this time in 1911, I was just five years old. And as I, I stated before, there's quite a few things that went around on around here just at that time putting the water system in and it was same year that they shipped the outfit up to Bancroft to thrash as I said before and uh, Mac was he went down to the in the winter with nothing doing here and there's rebuilding the power plant down Berry Canyon. He went down there to see if he could get on work there. Of course, I didn't question that. building a machine to make electricity. Well, in that meantime, J.J. bought me a little bit of a electric machine that worked with a reciprocating pitman on it. I, yeah, I have batteries to run it, and I asked Mac, I says, can't you bring me some electricity up from down there? Anyway, they uh, was putting the water system in town, and to get down there, Mac rode a horse down as far as you go on this side to be across the river, down the canyon, and, and he turned the horse loose him home, and he walked on down to the canyon. Well, the horse got lost coming home, and they building the water system, the trench south of the block of the schoolhouse was in there, along that street or someplace. The horse got in the trench and mud up to its neck, and I don't know how they had it, whether they pulled it out or dug it out. Anyway, they got the horse out and took about the rest of the day cleaning it up, drawing water out of a well because the water system wasn't in yet. That's one thing I can remember the casualty of a deep trench. Now this is an incident I guess you called first or second day of school. They have recess and all the other kids, they come out and played and had Baseball and one thing another, as the older ones. Ed Christensen was there and we decided we'd bring a ball and, and come up and I gave him a, throw the ball over to him. He had to perform like a good pitcher to wind up and lift his leg up and throw it. And he heaved loose with this ball. and it, it didn't come anywhere near close where I could catch it. And, Zola Hanson, she was a girl just about the same age as we was, it was just outside the schoolhouse, and that ball hit her right in the middle of the forehead, and she went down cold as a cucumber. Of course it kind of scared us, and principal, he come out on the scene, and he said, well, we we'll get it now from the principal. He picked that ball up and held it in his hand and rolled it around, he says, that's a wood ball. That ain't supposed to be thrown in the... Air. He gave us a little talk, too, and so-and-so. Took the ball with him in school, and school's school was out, he gave me the ball. He said, take it home and don't bring it back, which I know dang well I wouldn't. Now, let's talk about the school grounds a little bit. That schoolhouse was built, finished in 1907, or approximately. There was a date on the front end of it. Says Newton School and the date it was built. But all over in town, there wasn't any gravel roads. It's a little bit of gravel put on the sidewalk here and there. Not a little private people had put it in. But there's a long ways out to get gravel. There was no gravel put here. They called it Jack Nelson, but. That was half dirt, and you had to dig and look to find enough gravel to even be any good. And there were some people I know, I went with that and I was just, just tacking along, I guess. We'd go up there in the wagon and load up with, with a set of dump boards on the wagon. It's a pretty slow way to gravel anything. When they... Uh, about that time or a little later, you see the road that used to go to Logan, you'd have to go down here by uh, south of town, across the creek, down there by the flume, and wind over the old road, we called it. But this, they built a new road that went from, connected right on here from the edge of town, had an old cat, sixty and two graders behind it, and they graded the road and went right straight east till it intercepted the roads that come from Logan, north and south, starting straight east from here. And they started hauling gravel on that road. It was steep enough and gravel enough; it didn't get so muddy. But the uh, Roads here in town and there's some of the lower places that stayed wet all the summer. <coughs> then the county took over to haul gravel. That was after World War One, and uh, there were some surplus trucks, some old dinosaurs. And uh, Mort Rigby was county commissioner about that time, in they got got started to hauling the gravel on their road and that was the first road to get the state road gravel from there and through town down to Cash Junction. Well, it amounted to several years. In wintertime, they never had anything to remove snow. In fact, they sold stuff for an automobile to just put under a wheel and axle and jack it up so it wouldn't set on its tires. They didn't know anyone about t- tractor or tires, and we did, but uh, when winter come cars was over. You couldn't buck snow with them. You, know, you could put chains on and that, but it wasn't very safe to go. To Logan, you might not get back again. So they fought along with it for that way. The case of sicknesses, uh, once or twice that... Uh, take an individual and haul them out to, as far as Malaga, and the doctors would lead them there and take them to hospital, There's no other way to get over there. He couldn't come from Malaga this way, I believe the road around through Benson Ward dried up a little bit before the clay stuff out there in Smithfield. Anyway, it's pretty well insulated. isolated. There's one good thing that was there: the railroad. They run a passenger train from Preston through Logan, through Cash Junction to Salt Lake, and come through Cash Junction seven o'clock in the morning. A person could go to Salt Lake. To and do a day shopping, and that train got back from Salt Lake into Cache Junction at seven o'clock at night. Ern Jensen, he fired on that run for some time, and then also along that time, there's three different, there's room maybe two uh, trains, ping pong, and whatever you want to call it, run from Cache. Junction. First one get in from Preston into Cash Junction around 10 o'clock. And then there was another one. I let's make a trip and go to Logan and come from Logan, get into Cash Junction and wait there for his train we called a 29. It'd come from Salt Lake around 4 o'clock. And then he'd go on it to Logan. He was going to high school, both for Logan and, and Hiram. And it cost a dollar a ticket to go to Logan. It cost uh, 66 cents, I think it was, to go from Hiram. And that was the hardest piece of tanks to keep for because you had to use every denomination there was to make the 66 cents. And down the field, at the straight up east from Cass Junction, was only a mile or so, but you could see what was going on at Cass Junction. And the big thing was, it looks foolish now, but you see a train that reached from the uh, river bridge uh, into where the roundhouse was, that was the longest train to ever come through the junction. The ancients had, I don't know the numbers on them now too well, but they used to small engine to handle a lot of freight. As from what I've heard, it's one of the best branch lines that the uh, Union Pacific had. And the first coal chute that I remember in Cash Junction, to get the car of coal up in the chute where they could empty it and it went in the bins and then the engine would drive by the side and pull down the chute and take on coal. And uh, They'd take a string of cars enough to reach from the ground and up to the full running the coal chutes. It was kind of a trickly job to have a break from there to give the signals to the engineer. You'd have to go back up some way north from the chute in order to pick up some speed and then just go the right speed and the right amount of power so you could stopped the thing when it got up the top. They'd push it through the coal chute. And it happened once or twice when they pushed the car on through the coal chute there. And that was a job there's Newton fellows were thinking of Willis Benson. Willis Benson was working down there and Uncle Hiram was living in Cash Junction and I don't know if Dowdle Fonda was there. Anyway, these kids had all the hold of hand, galley and singing going across the track, and here a train was coming. And I don't know whether Willis throwed coal at him or he hollered at them or everything else, but they finally got their attention and they got out of the road. But the idea of kids on a track, and just something that I couldn't see ever, why it ever happened. But lucky enough, nobody got hurt. Well, let's follow through a little more on this coal chute deal. They uh, tried several ways to get coal up to the thing. They built a small house right down and just to the south of the coal chute. Then they had a uh, link chain. This engine was a great big single cylinder thing, and when they just the uh, pour some gasoline in a priming cup on top of it and turn the flywheel back as hard as, as far as they could. And then, right the back, it had it's called, it's called a color pop matching special match. They'd in a little receiver and to t- hit it on the head. Uh, that would night the uh, match, and the match would. Ignite the gasolinas in there and boy, when that thing would shoot, you could hear it all over the country. And then it start going in the hit and miss proposition. And gasping from ha I'm banging, <laughs> bang. Shake the whole country all the way around. They had control levers up in the top of the thing where they could put it in gear and out of gear. And then to let the cars down, they used pinch boards to start them. And then he had a band breakers on a good sized wheel. And you could retard the speed and let them go about what you want. As they'd go back down, it'd pull that cable that they used to wind up on a drum that's up on the top of it. There's a chute there. And the guys running the thing, they'd get pretty well used to it because that cable was all. Oh, I don't know, inch and a half, two inches in diameter, maybe, I don't remember. Anyway, that'd be a big job to drag that down, so they'd have to get enough speed on a car going down to take that cable. They had some marks on the cable, and when that mark would come, they'd pull the brake practically stop, and the cable would be out there. They'd take the draw head off and put a big clevis and a pin put it on the next one to pull it up. I'd take a good... Half hour or more to pull a coracol coal up there to unload. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that happened. That uh, I haven't got the date on it. It'd be 20 years ago or so. They uh, well, they put electric motor in and run it. Got that done with that big old dinosaur gasoline engine. The things are never dependable. They'd Get them all flooded or something, and they couldn't start them, and they had a lot of trouble with it. So then they got electric motor and put up in there, and that pretty well took care of getting the cars up to cold chute. But this, uh, I won't try to give a date, but it's on a uh, Sunday. I think they riding. It a cold all day. To uh, raining and f- freezing at the same time. I know The fire department was there, and, and the wind spray, they got the fire out and shoot fairly good, and then it'd start up again, and they'd squash it down. Or what they had was a carload of coal was up in the top of the thing, and that got hot enough that it ignited. There's a whole car of car coal well. They'd put the wood out around it, and then the heat from this car would start it going again. So finally, Chief—I mean, still Chief Rappy—called for the uh, lighter truck that they built for Logan City. They brought it over and got uh, up high enough so they could shoot the water right down in the coal and got the coal put out or the car put out, then they was able to get the fire. It didn't last very long after they once, but they'd watch the old piling and stuff that the runway was built out of. And they uh, Lucky enough, it never burnt the understructure and kept it from burning and never uh, weakened that. Well, it was, it had sagged a little, because in order to take the car out, it after the rails had bent a little and sagged, and after be pulled up, and some smart guy come and out, and he's going to try the old way again of taking some cars up and hook onto it and pull it down with an engine. But I guess the ones that used to uh, pulling the cars up or uh, using an engine to go up and get them, They've long gone, and like I say, it's quite a tricky thing to know just exactly how to handle that thing. Anyway, he went up with the cars, and whether there's a little miscontention among the men or what, I don't know. But anyway, they hit that car and pushed it right out over the end of the coal chute. Maybe it's a good thing anyway, because they was kind of stumped of how to get that car down out of the ground. the catwalk or whatever, where they are dumping it. The place they dumped it, they had a space, oh, two or three feet wide and a couple of rails running lengthways. And it was fixed that way so they dumped the car out of the side of the cars. And then they'd have to take little coal picks and, and stand on the rails and keep on any rocks and stuff. The coal come in there as a mine run. It wasn't screened any special size or anything there and lumps half the size of a man to the down to the ones, the small ones would fall through and they are supposed to be fine enough that the firemen could just shove them right into fire and the guys that run the coal chute they'd have to bust the coal up so it would go through these rails I don't remember, it each to me they'd say that two or three cars a day would use that's when the things was we using now back to the Cash Junction Road again. This being the winter time. The wind had blow and drift the snow up and we'd try to get down to feed horses in the field and we'd take some fences down and we seemed like along where the ditches were and along the road well, weeds and stuff growed up as high as a fence, and when the snow'd come and put the snow up there as tall as these weeds, as tall as high as a fence, and out in the fields it'd practically bare. So we'd have to take the make a road to take the wire down through the property, get down to the field, and that's where we'd go down to feed. We'd Pretty soon hear the people, mail carrier, and going to saw a Cash Junction, they'd follow that trail to, for them to get to Cash Junction. It seemed like it, the roads north and south would fill up pretty good, but the ones running east and west didn't, it wasn't, the wind was blowing more along with them. It didn't fill them up. But in 1918, that's when they took Mother over to the hospital. The snow was deep and uh, they'd been going with snow sleighs and the old sleigh would go up over a hump and then it'd dive down again and each time it'd go up over that hump, it would dig a deeper hole on the other side. It was almost unbearable to drive along the dang thing. And never had any uh, equipment for removing snow to speak of. Well, they had a, a little 30 cats and had a dozer on it, but that thing it gets uh, didn't have enough power to pull the road. We got late in the spring, and they called for some volunteers, and I don't know how many teams they got down there ahead of it. But anyway, they'd pull the thing ahead about as far as it could go, and then he'd start slipping it back up, and Forden said he didn't need to worry about. Back and he says, when you put that thing in reverse and start backward, he said your horse had just automatically moved. He didn't jerk it or speed it, but he took it nice and easy, the whole thing. But, but he's relating to what relation there was to the power of that little cat and the team of horses for it. Anyway, they spent practically the whole day fighting to get a road from Newton down to Cash Junction. But she was in the hospital, I remember, three weeks. I don't know. Anyway, the